Acts chapter 1, chapter 1, verse 15. In those days, Peter stood up in the midst of the disciples and he said, The number of names together were about 120 men and brethren. This scripture must needs have been fulfilled, which the Holy Ghost, by the mouth of David, spake before concerning Judas, which was guided to them that took Jesus. Look, it says, verse 17, for he was numbered with us and had obtained part of this ministry. Now, this man purchased a field with the reward of iniquity, and falling headlong, he burst asunder in the midst, and all his bowels gushed out. Would you look at verse 25? The Bible says, he may take part of this ministry and apostleship from which Judas, what's it say? By transgression fell. I want to preach on that phrase for just a couple minutes. Judas, by transgression, fell. Church, one of the most sobering parts of the past 30 years of ministry is watching people fall. I've seen missionaries fall. I've seen college students fall. I've seen husbands fall and wives fall and pastors fall. I remember the first shock of my young life was going here up the road to Levon Drive Baptist. And some of the biggest names in, among the independent Baptists at that time were all there, from Lee Robertson to Jack Kyles to, you name it, J. Harold Smith. And in that meeting, God was already working in my heart through a series of events and conferences. And, and I'd say at that moment that uh, I surrendered to preach. Bill Bennett was preaching the rock of God, powerful message. I've mentioned before, I was in the balcony. The altar was so full, I couldn't get down the steps. Now, right there in the steps. And God really used that meeting in my life. And two months later, it came out that uh, Bill Bennett was living in sin and resigned his church. I remember sitting with Dad confused and saying, Dad, uh, am I called to preach? If this is the case, Dad, of course, like always, took that nubby finger and <laughs> gently poked my chest 50 times. Says, <laughs> son, you don't get determined who God uses or how God uses them or why God uses them. But Judas, by transgression, fell. Hard to believe, betrayed Christ, betrayed the disciples, betrayed the followers of the Lord Jesus Christ. Let me say just a few simple things here tonight. Number one, no one had any idea that Judas wasn't real. We talk about duplicity. In church, when you study the life of Judas, it's absolutely astounding. He was an apostle. We refer to him as a disciple. But he's one of the 12. We all are disciples of the Lord Jesus Christ. We're not talking about just a disciple. We're talking about an apostle. Handpicked. It says in verse 17, he was numbered with us and he obtained a part with this ministry. Go with me to Matthew 26, 25. Three years with the Lord Jesus Christ. Church, I want to make this statement about duplicity. Duplicity is simply 
living the Christian life without repentance. You know what the Christian life demands because of our imperfections? Constant repentance. Parents, there's nothing more important that you can teach your children than how to repent. There has to be spiritual confrontation. Most of our preaching is no longer confrontational. Most of our parenting is no longer confrontational. And thus sin is overlooked instead of confronted. And all of us, we have to understand, have a human heart. We're all capable of any sin under the sun. And to get to that point, there's a series of steps, but it all starts with the refusal to truly, biblically repent. And if you get in the habit of covering sin, you will become duplicious. Young people, be real. I know outsiders who think uh, your pastor and this environment is hard. There's no environment more loving than Capital City Baptist Church. There's no one who loves to have mercy more than your pastor. But I believe everything starts with repentance. Judas could have gotten help. You, you think the lovely Lord Jesus Christ didn't every day long for Judas to repent. He was aware from the first day. He was aware from the moment he chose him. Look what it says, Matthew 26, verse 25. Then Judas, which betrayed him, answered and said, Master, is it I? This is the extent of his duplicitous behavior. Judas knew who he was. Judas, now, here's, here's what you've got to be careful of, Christian. You, you don't want to fall into this trap, but all of us can easily fall into this trap. They talk about bipolar. How many understand your flesh and spirit? You have the spirit of God in you, saved your soul, did not save your flesh. There is a private you and there's a public you. There's a persona and there's a reality. You know the reality. And you are the only one that knows the reality. For some, it's darker than others. But the only way to make sure it's not a dark person is to repent. I'm not talking about weeping because why do we have... In these chapters, the two people that we remember most for their fall, Peter and Judas, both having sinned, having fallen, wept. And one was forever separated from God and the other preached Pentecost five weeks later. Repentance. True, heartfelt, biblical Repentance. Look what it says. Verse 25. Is it I? And he said unto him in front of all the rest, Thou hast said. But someone that is that 
Duplicious puts the dark side in a box. That's not Judas the disciple, that's Jude the man. Go with me to John 13. John 13, verse 21. When Jesus had thus said, he was troubled in its spirit. He testified and said, Very, very, I say unto you, one of you shall betray me. Then the disciples looked one on another, doubting of whom he spake. No one knew. I don't know how many times in life I've been troubled by someone's fall. That preacher by transgression fell. He had. We don't highlight it, but we've had dozens of missionaries fall in 14 years. We support in both churches hundreds combined of hundreds of missionaries. And here's what we do. We don't highlight any. We just move them off and move forward and thank God for the souls that were one. And I go through stretches in my ministry. You hear about pastors falling. You've been in Capital City long enough to know church members have fallen. The problem is when it's someone you know or you're close to there, then comes the shock. Can you imagine those who administered with, with Judas for three years? No clue. Oh, hindsight's 2020. Then they remember the anointings and the comments. But at the moment, there was no real red flags. The red flags were so non-existent that when Christ identifies him, they don't point at Judas, they point at themselves. And they say, I know that I'm not the strongest of all Christians. Christ, is it I? Now there was leaning on Jesus' bosom, one of the disciples whom Jesus loved, Simon Peter, therefore beckoned to him that he should ask who it was, who it should be of whom he spake. And he then lying on Jesus' breast said to him, Lord, who is it? Peter's curiosity got the best of him. His friendship with John led him to say, John, just go ahead and ask. And he did. And Jesus answered. He knew even identifying Judas, they couldn't come to terms with the fact that it was him. Verse 26, then Jesus answered, he it is to whom I shall give a sop when I dipped it. And when he had dipped the sop, he gave it to Judas Iscariot, the son of Simon. Now they have a visual. They've all asked. There was no response. And Christ says, I'll identify him with the sop. And when he's identified, look what it says, verse 27, after the sop, Satan entered into Judas, then said Jesus unto him, that thou doest, do thou quickly. Now, no man, did, did you read that? Yeah. No man at the table knew of what intent he spake this unto him. For some of them thought Judas had the bad thing. They did not, they still identified him as a spiritual leader saying, He's just going to buy those things that we have need of against the fees, or he's going to give money to the poor. Then he realized, no, he had his hand in the bag and was stealing from the poor. He then, having received the sop, went out immediately. And it was what? Night. Why? 
Why didn't they recognize that? He was numbered among them. He had the power to heal and cast out demons and preach and win the lost. That's why, yeah. You say, why, why, would, uh, why would Christ choose Judas? I, I believe one of the reasons he chose him, just remind us you don't ever put your hope in a man. Let, let me repeat that. You don't ever put your hope in a man. You don't put your hope in Adam Thompson. You don't put your hope in Bob Simpson. You don't put your hope in Jeremy Lewis or David St. Pierre or Tony Powell. Or You thank God that there's enough spirit-filled Christianity possibly to do the work of God, but there's never any confidence that that will last a lifetime. There's a prayer. There's a hope. There's a biblical plea. Now, let me just say, we talk about his fall. Uh, it wasn't overnight. Here's what we think when someone falls into sin, that uh, suddenly in their race to live the spiritual life and their walk with God was all right, and suddenly Satan jumped out from behind the curtain and grabbed them and threw them down, pinned them to the ground. You know better than that. A fall is a series of sin that is overlooked in a person's life. And he had spiritual failure long before he visibly fell. And church, let me remind you, not one of us, not one of us is above falling. The disciples are a reminder of that because they all looked around and said, Christ, is it I? And the Bible repeatedly tells us to beware. When, when helping a brother up, what is the purpose, Galatians 6, to be able to look at ourselves and say, we're not above falling either. Look what it says in Mark chapter 14. The longer you live, the more you understand that falling is a whole lot easier than standing. Mark 14, 17. In the evening he cometh with the twelve, and as they sat and eat, Jesus said, Verily, I say unto you, one of you which eateth me shall betray me. And they begin to be sorrowful and say unto him, Look what it says. One by one. Is it I? And another said, Is it I? Now, church, if we're going to live out our lives in the will of God, Every day, we need to wake up, get in that book, and cleanse our heart. And, and there are so many things here, not to be preached tonight, but possibly to be mentioned. I, I love that word in Scripture when it talks about Christ's place of prayer in Gethsemane. The Scripture uses the word resort. He resorted thither. How many remember that? Resort. How many of you ever stayed in a resort? You, those of you that got on the couples retreat, uh, we stayed out here. Not a hotel. You know, we don't hotels are like hotels. Uh, some are nice and some not so nice, and some might have breakfast and others might not. But a resort is all inclusive. Have everything right there. And no accident in the scripture that the word resort is there because Christ and His time alone with the Father and His place of prayer and His devotions was for him a resort. It was a resort area. 
where he'd go often and the disciples knew this is his resort. You say, all the busyness, how did Christ make it? He would go to his resort. All-inclusive resort. Where he could walk away and everything he needed was right there. And life can be overwhelming. Stress can be too much. But hold on for a second. Isn't it strange to you that when Judas went to betray the Lord Jesus Christ, he went to Christ's resort? Did, did you catch that? That means no respect, but actually someone who despised that place and said, I'm going to bring his enemies here to have him detained in his. That's not mine. In his resort. Young people, you better get this. If you're going to live a life for God, you better have a spiritual resort. You better have a place where you get along with God, you walk with God. Better start at the beginning of your day and last all day and finish when you go to sleep at night. Because this world, even the world's best resorts, are sometimes painful because what they do there, whether that's the nudity of the beaches all across America and Hawaii, or the drinking, or whatever kind of craziness they got going on, when your resort is a place of prayer, everything else comes off, including the stress and pressure of the moment. And that's why Judas would find himself in this spot because Christ's resort for him was no happy place at all. And he comes. Once again, I don't want to take time. I know that's a heavy message. We're not studying every detail of the life of Judas, but there he goes to kiss the man he followed for three and a half years in an act of betrayal in his resort place of prayer. And then to step back, and the Bible says, there were the enemies of Christ, okay, the religious crowd that so wanted him dead, the soldiers that were about ready to detain him. And the Bible says he stepped back and did what? Stood with them. Bad spot to be. Really bad spot to be. No shame. Here's what happens. Young people, if you don't learn to repent, you'll get to the place where you have no shame. You can wear your conscience so thin. The Bible talks about searing it and defiling it and becoming past feeling. Now, all those things can happen if you don't make a regular habit and parents, when you deal with sin in your children, if you don't see the wheels turning where it leads to true repentance in this environment, you'll create duplicity. An outward conformity with an inward hatred. 
an outward conformity with an inward dark side. Now go back with me to Acts 1. Let me ask you this, a little simple question tonight. When Christ was crucified, what happened to the disciples? They all forsook him and fled. We, we find them scared. We find them dejected. We find them depressed. We find them hiding. We find them huddled together. And even when the good news comes, they can't quite believe it. Peter and the others accused the women of telling them idle tales and but once the reality hits and they see the risen Lord and the light comes on, the change is so drastic that now they're racing back to Jerusalem almost in a hurry to become martyrs. Okay. Now, here's, here's the verse we often quote. Hebrews 12, 2. What's it say? Looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith. Who do we look to? And when, when we support a missionary like this, I appreciate him, I met him, and I believe in him, and I, I can give to this ministry with great confidence, but I'm not looking unto Israel, Warren. If he wins a thousand souls, or if he face plants tomorrow, it's not going to change my life. Because I'm not looking to Israel, Warren. I, I'm not looking to R.B. Willett. I'm, I'm not looking to Brent Logan. I'm not looking to any man feet of clay. I'm looking, and he doesn't change. Now, they made a lot of mistakes, but if you take a good look at this group, here's 11 men who were fixated on the Lord Jesus Christ. Because when they thought he was dead, their joy ended depression overwhelmed them when he was resurrected and they met him their joy returned they were invigorated ready to die for him their eyes were on jesus not judas let me ask you this how many the disciples quit because judas quit how many sad stories would say look at that that tree fell and took a dozen trees with him no that tree fell and the rest of the forest grew. Did you get that? They were looking unto Jesus. Because they weren't sitting here complaining and overwhelmed emotionally. They were saying, our Savior has risen and Judas was a revelation. But we move forward and continue on. Look what it says in verse 20. For it is written in the book of Psalms, let... His habitation be desolate. Let no man dwell therein. Now look at the next phrase. His bishopric, let another take. Wherefore these men, which have accompanied with us all the time that the Lord Jesus went in, went out among us, beginning from the baptism of John, and that same day that he was taken up from us, must one be ordained to be a witness with us of his resurrection? They were looking for someone who had been saved under the ministry of John the Baptist and trained and then moved into uh, uh, the, the ministry of the Lord Jesus Christ and became a follower of his ministry. 
There were certain qualifications here. Two met the qualifications. They appointed two. Joseph called Barsabas, who was surnamed Justice, and Matthias. And they prayed. And they said, Lord, thou which knowest the hearts of all men, show whether these two thou hast chosen. Now, all of Scripture is just, the, the longer you read it, the more you meditate on the circumstances of Scripture. They're just, here's why preachers go long. The longer you live and the longer you study, it's just everything preaches. Can't imagine the duty that preaching becomes the longer you preach. But if you look at that phrase, isn't it amazing? They said, Thou knowest the hearts of all men. They knew that. Knowing he had known Judas's heart and chose him and washed his feet and allowed him to minister. Show whether these two thou hast chosen that he may take part of this ministry and apostleship from which Judas by transgression fell. They gave forth their lots, and the lot fell upon Matthias. The church sought his replacement and went on. Now, you know what's happened over the years? Ministries all across the world and the United States. And Hank Thompson started this church, but the foundation is who? Christ Jesus. Hank Thompson got sick and passed away. And the church didn't pass away because the church is not a man. And wherever God moves me, whenever God moves, whatever God does with me, the church moves on. Amen. Amen. And we saw Christ goes into heaven. Judas dies. And right here in Jerusalem, the church dies with him. Right? How many ever travel around this nation? How many ever been to Tennessee and Florida? I remember when Kim and I went to a meeting in Tennessee one time. We drove 30 miles. I think we counted 85 churches. Now, of course, it's some of those missionary southern. I don't know. I don't know the area. I just know. I was like, babe, another one, another one, another one, another one. Look at that. Look at that. I've never been. I've been all over the south, but I've never been down a stretch of road where literally it's like, how many times has this church split? <laughs> you couldn't buy land more than a mile away? Now, that's, that's in a... It's in a small part of the country, but it's thousands of miles away from Jerusalem, the mother church. And I don't care if you go to a thousand miles a river in Alaska, or you go to India, China, Uzbekistan, you, you name it. They're Christian, they're believers, some in churches, some in big buildings, some in small buildings. But Judas didn't kill the church. Judas didn't even slow down the church. Judas, by transgression, fell. Now, you say, preacher, now what would happen if Shiloh fell? Oh, we'd move on. Well, what would happen if Robert fell? I don't want anyone to fall. I don't want to pass. Thank God for our men. I thank God for their faithfulness. I thank God for their walk with God. The church of Robert fell, we'd move forward. If Pastor Bob fell tomorrow, and he could, he's getting old. <laughs> pick, him, pick him up, take him to the doctor, get it fixed, bring him back. Well, is, is Pastor replaceable? Yes. 
As much as we hate to admit it, everyone's replaceable. Be careful, man. You think you're not replaceable. You die before she does. <laughs> Verse 20. What do we do? What do we do? Uh, someone falls. Verse 20. For it is written in the book of Psalms. Let the habitation be desolate. Let no man dwell there. And in his bishopric, let another take. We look at the book. You know what they did? They, they got in the book. There's a scripture for everything. And someone said, I was reading Psalm. Hey, hey, there's some prophecy about this. There's some scripture about this. There's a verse. God actually told us about this. Let's get in the book. Amen. Someone you look to falls. You do, what do I do? Get in the book. Get your eyes off man. Look at the warning. Verse 18. Young people are... I'll close with this. We'll get distracted and go too long tonight. But this is a good place to close. Verse 18. Now, this man purchased a field. You say, what? How, how did he purchase a field? He took the 30 shekels. I still, every time I read that number, I think 30 shekels. People talk about his love for money. But 30 shekels is nothing. But when he went and he threw that money down and said, I was stupid, didn't repent. He just said, that was stupid. Can't believe I did that. And they said, uh, sorry, that's blood money. We can't touch that. But what we can do is take it and buy a field. Look what it says. So he purchased, that money was used to purchase a field with the reward of iniquity. Now, here's, here's the great reward of iniquity, young people. Look at it. It's beautiful. Falling headlong, he burst asunder in the midst, and all his bowels gushed out. Amen. Why don't we have any preaching on that? He wasn't good at much in life. He obviously wasn't good at tying knots. So he finds something to hang himself with. And as he hangs in the weight of his body, pulls on that rope, something breaks or comes free. Maybe the limb breaks or the rope breaks. And when he hits the ground, whether that's Hitting a rock or a tree, it rips open his midsection. And his bowels literally gush out. For those that found him, what a horrific picture. The tragedy of sin. Young people. May God help us all to remember sin is tragic. Let's, let's say that together. Let's echo it so these kids can hear it. Sin, Sin is, tragic. is tragic. Duplicity is tragic. Hidden sin is tragic. Unconfessed sin is tragic. The end of sin, tragic. 